Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today we discuss technical diagramming with systems architect Maya. Let's go. First question. You've spent 10 hours slogging over a sequence diagram that should have taken five. Drawing Board or Miro Board? Drawing Board. And if I'm being honest, Miro would probably cut that time down by half. You know, with its AI tools and ready-to-go templates. Next, your diagrams become so bulky, it's more complex than the solar system. But all it takes is a few clicks and... It's Miro. I've used those technical shape packs way too many times. And stuff is just digestible on its infinite online canvas. Now, the final question. Everyone's brought in. But you have to make all these tasks all the way over in Jira. But wait, it's done. Is it... Miro. Easy with its two-way Jira sync. Easy to plot dependencies. Everyone always knows what's up. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people creating technical diagrams without workflow glitches. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network in conjunction with the Sampson Family Foundation, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. Now here's Ralph and your host, Mac McDonald. Welcome into the Winner's Circle Network, and this is Center Court. I'm Mac McDonald. Great to have you on this Father's Day weekend and week. And uh, Ralph, it's really the time of year, and I know uh, you'll be having a, a really, really good time with your dad. And I always remember, you know, my father. It's a, it's a really kind of a special time, isn't it? And 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 to throw into that, what they meant to you during your athletic career and your climb to greatness. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always a great weekend. The, the crazy part, you know, have Mother's Day and Father's Day, and those days are very special in the. The, the lay of the world that we live in. But, you know, my dad, obviously, is very special, you know, from day one, uh, you know, and over the years with his health issues with cancer and prostate, he's been 100% healthy. And July the 8th, he'll be 85 years old. Mm-hmm. So glad to have him still with us. And uh, this is, you know, this is a lesson that you, you look at now that he taught me and my sisters over the years, you know, hard work. I mean, he worked till he was 80. He's 85. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he, 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 he had enough time, Mac, with his job. That was a really cushy job, right, with the city of Harrisonburg. That he could have taken a year off, and they still had to pay him because he never took days off. Uh, he missed one day of work doing chemo, uh, eight weeks of chemotherapy. He missed one day because he didn't feel like that. You don't have to work if you don't want to, but right. that's what you want to do. And then when I got to the NBA, uh, you know, he, he retired a little bit, and he said, I, I, I. Um, I've got to have something to do. So he went back to work. Yeah. For a couple of years, he stopped and he went back to work again for the city of Harrisonburg. So his work ethic and my mom's work ethic is instilled in me. And so I appreciate what he's accomplished in his life. And I'm just fortunate to have him with us still. You've been coached, you've coached, and you've been a parent and you've parented. Can you compare the two, coaching and parenting? It's all the same. You know, I've, I've had great coaches and Roger Burgery, Coach Dillinger as my high school coaches as well. And I had obviously great college coaches and Coach Holland and Coach Odom and 
and Coach Lanonega, Coach Lopage as well. So coaching, uh, you know, you, you take some of those tidbits as you get older and out of the game and you start training kids as well. So you use those things and you make it your own. I mean, as uh, we coming up here, you make things your own just because you you learn it and you were successful with it. So from my dad's teaching and my uncle's teaching or my cousin's teaching as a young kid to even now, I still pick up on certain tips that I use not only in my life, but try to instill in other people's lives as well. Uh, really good stuff. Well, today, one of the greats to ever play, one of the great point guards in the Atlantic Coast Conference. He is Randolph Childress. When we come back, we'll talk to the point guard, the former Demon Deacon. We'll discuss that 1995 run and also his life in, in coaching and basketball. All that's coming up next. This is Center Court on the Winner Circle Network. The mission for the Samson Family Foundation is simple. We strive to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. The foundation promotes charitable and community input, educational development, health and fitness, and scholarship opportunities. The Samson Family Foundation's initiatives focus on patients with cancer, educational scholarship programs, and give students guidance in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. The Samson Family Foundation encourages limitless possibilities, your financial support is tax deductible. To learn more, call 540-615-5097. The website is samsonfamilyfoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. It takes teamwork to make the dream work. just cemented what, what we believed and I always told myself and, and my teammates that we were as good as those guys and we were and we can be as good as those guys. I just never bought into that. I never bought into playing second fiddle to those guys. Coach Odom always told me I had earned the right to take the shot. You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Once again, here's Ralph and Mac. Welcome into the Winter Circle Network, and this is Center Court with Ralph Sampson and uh, our special guest that Ralph and I just talked about, uh, one of the more clutch players in the Atlantic Coast Conference, Ralph, and uh, a lot to talk to this guy about. And on Father's Day week, you know, Father's Day week and weekend, I think it makes sense that we talked to a guy who also had to parent an outstanding uh, basketball player as well, Randolph Childress, our, our guest. And Randolph, a lot of ground to cover. Welcome. Uh, it's good to talk to you. Man, thanks for having me. How yeah, much did for- you know about Ralph when you stepped into the ACC? Well, you got to know when Odom came, he came from Virginia. So with Ricky Stokes and Coach Odom being on staff, I mean, you know, you you, you kind of idolize that, that 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 regime and that time and uh, the great things that Ralph accomplished. Obviously, one of the all-time greats that I got a question for as we get into this, you know, about the <laughs> time to give as much respect to, but, you know, dominated the ACC like, like no other. I mean, there's very few people who had the, the type of career that uh, that Ralph had, so you know everyone knows who he who he who he is and and what he's meant to ACC basketball. I don't know about ACC basketball, but it's a lot of a lot of folks in ACC history, including yourself, that uh, has kept the uh, ACC mystique and legacy on. So thanks for being on this show, and I appreciate you and what you do. And and you have you have that Wake Forest shirt on right now. So how, <laughs> how's that going? How's that going? <laughs> hey, it's going, I'm a proud Demon Deacon, right? You know, so it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm proud of the university and, and having having had the last 10 years, uh, spent the last 10 years coaching and being a part of the university and uh, just recently resigned from that. But uh, nonetheless, just just 
blessed to, to, to be a part of such a great place that I'm very fond of that has such an impact on my life. Randolph, you bring up a good point about Ralph and Duncan and two of the best right. big men to ever play in the ACC. Right. Do you remember Coach Odom and Ricky coaching Duncan and going, this is the way Ralph did it? Or did they, they referred to Ralph a lot, right? Absolutely. I mean, he was the person that they broke, they, they brought up to kind of motivate him. Uh, one, it gave them credibility, you know, to say, hey, if this is good enough for Ralph Sanderson, then it's definitely good enough for you. Ralph wouldn't know it, but I can assure you that his name came up a ton of times. And through the development, development of Timmy, you know, coming in practice and, and you're talking about a guy like Ricky Stokes on one end, kind of working with him some or Coach Odom, you know, working with Biggs is because of the success that he had and, and, and the work that he put in. And, and, and that a lot of it came from Ralph. Yeah, I can recall, Mac, uh, I don't know if you remember, I broke my uh, right ring finger uh, with a spiral fracture one year, and they had to put pins in it for a couple weeks. And Coach Odom got me out of the court every day. They, you got to play, but you got <laughs> to use your left hand. So he, I was drumming and shooting my left hand, and I played in um, against Louisville with my hand bandaged, but I got the chance to come back and play. And we had some cupcake games in there. I get to play and get used to it. But I've started to dunk the basketball with my left hand. That's all we call the coach Odom. Wow. So I guess they would coach, and Randolph would know this too, you you got to coach a big man to use both hands, right? That's just – that's a must, right? Yes, absolutely. You got no choice. Yeah, and <laughs> league, you know, you playing against – you know, everyone's always had great players in the ACC, and no matter what, how far you go back. I mean, you were going to play against another great player that was equally as talented, no matter how good you were. And they were going to take away your weakness. So if you couldn't use both hands and you didn't, your footwork wasn't together back then, you were going, you were going, to, be, you were going to be exploded. When he, when, when Timmy came to Wake Forest for the very first time, Randolph, and did you provide the leadership for him, taking him under your wing and say, hey, Timmy, this is the way it's going to be in this league and you've got to do X, Y, and Z? You didn't know he was going to be the guy when he came. Mm -hmm. I mean, Max Arinja was supposed to be the starter. Uh, you know, when he first arrived, we were told he was going to redshirt. You know, he mm -hmm. was supposed to be the guy that came in and Maktar Njai and Ricky Peral were the other big guys and everybody was 6'10 or bigger. And Timmy comes along and supposed to be this this big guy from the islands of St. Croix and uh, <laughs> he's going to redshirt. So don't, don't don't worry about him too much. And we got in the gym and when you saw him play, you were like, look, that Maktar guy is pretty good. <laughs> this Duncan kid is, is really good. Like, I don't know what you guys are talking about redshirt. Like, this kid needs to play. Uh, and Maktar, he came from Oak Hill, where he had a number one team with McGinnis and, and Stockhouse and those guys. And uh, Maktar and Jack couldn't play. He was ineligible as a freshman. And Timmy was kind of thrown to the wolves. And so once we got to that point uh, that he had to play, we spent so much time like, look, this is, you know, you kind of expedite this, this learning curve, like, hey, in a gym, extra work. Uh, and then, you know, you, you don't, you know, when you got a talent like that, it's not difficult. You just want to, you know, help them as much as you can. And Tim was never overwhelmed or, or, or paralyzed with information. So for him, you know, he could just take as much as you could give him. And, and, and obviously the rest is history with his career. So I want to know, you know, from, a, from you know, you, you're one of the best point guards to play in ACC. From a guard perspective and looking back and seeing Coach Olin, that's a short guy, and Coach Ricky Stokes, that's a short guy, teaching, teaching Tim Duncan post what do you, that, did, what do you that didn't quite work. And I don't know how that worked. But. I'm telling you, it was you. You you were the reason why. Because all they had to do was say, hey, if Ralph Sampson was doing this. Yeah, but, but they, you stopped teaching a big guy post more. You, you coach, so you 
Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like I said, a lot of film work of showing you, uh, you know, it just gives a ton of credibility, you know, and that, that's what it was. So Odin was really, you know, he was really good at that. He, he was a detailed, uh, as a great teacher. Uh, he allowed you to be comfortable whatever you were doing and kind of, you know, gave you a ton of confidence. So even if you weren't physically ready, like Timmy wasn't physically ready to, to right. play as a freshman. Fortunately for him, one of the most underrated guys we have, and you know this not being a, a weight-wise a big guy, yeah. that having another guy around you that brings, that supports you at a level of physicality can give you, can help, you know, help prevent you from wearing down. And, and that's what happened with Timmy. So having Trelawney Owens there that one year yeah. to help him, Trelawney was a bigger guy, uh, the more physical guy that allowed Timmy to kind of grow, you know, grow into his, you know, into his body. And, and uh, so that was big for him. But Odin would just teach the moves and he, he obviously couldn't get in the post and, and play one-on-one -on -one or teach much in the post, but he was a great <laughs> teacher. We had Jerry Wayne right there. We had, so we had a great staff of guys. Larry Davis was there early. We had so many great teachers of the game that, that it just rubbed off. And I think everyone was kind of a sponge and we kind of fed off each other. With, with the guys you just talked about, how did you want to be coached? Well, I came from Stu Vett. You know what? I was a product of great coaching. Uh, when I learned, people always say you learn, you know, I played basketball and I just pick up. I didn't start playing basketball until I was 13, organized basketball. I just played pickup ball, you know, with my, my buddies around the playground. Uh, I played football prior to that. And then I moved out of the city, out of D.C., and I moved to PG County when I was 13 years old. And I went to sign up for Allentown's Boys Club Basketball. And they were like, all right, basketball season is over with the registration. You can play football. And it was like, okay. You know I mean? I'm sorry I went for football. And they was like, football is over with. You can play basketball. And I was like, all right. My mother was like, we just moved out here. You're going to drive me crazy in the house. Get out and sign me up for basketball. And that was my first time playing organized basketball. So when I got to high school, at friendly high school, that freshman, you know, my freshman year of high school, the way I was taught, it was just fundamentally sound. I wasn't, we weren't allowed to, to come in and, play horse and dribble the ball, do anything. You went right to a basket and you form shot. And, and, and if you didn't have a basket, you picked a spot on the wall. Mm -hmm. And that coach Henderson came in the gym and he saw us kind of messing around as a freshman that day, kind of horsing around, shooting threes <laughs> and just shooting balls. And he lost it. <laughs> I mean, he ran us to death. And from that day forward, if I'm in the gym with anybody now, the first thing I do is I form shoot. I form shoot to this day. If you ask any player that I've dealt with in the last 10 years, we're warming up with form shoot. I know the impact of repetition and doing something like that. That definitely helped my game as, as far as being able to shoot the basketball. Well, you know, well, how many people that, you know, when you walk in the gym, they were horse around, did you make run? I mean, you had to make somebody <laughs> run. So. Well, you know what? I, now with the portal, you pull that crap now, that kid might be in the portal tomorrow. So <laughs> you got to be really careful with that. So I, the running, I didn't run him as much, but uh, I definitely would get him going with form shooting. I just thought it was something that anything fun. To, I'm a big, you know, I'm almost uh, anal to the guys with, in the sense of, uh, you know, in the sense of just saying, hey, fundamentally sound basketball, footwork, being able to pivot off both feet, shooting the ball the right way, following through, I think are all things that you need. You mentioned a porter there, not getting off this subject of basketball and, and weight, mm -hmm. but uh, if you were playing in college today, and you had that point. What's your opinion about the porter? But now you just move anytime you want. Right. Name, name what you like. What, what's your thoughts there? Because you you in the midst of that there, and you right. see it a lot. Wow. Uh, I think the impact that I, I would have had or the things I would have accomplished at Wake Forest, I probably wouldn't have been there. Uh, the times were different. But I also say 
people just associate that every time you have some success or you, your NBA draft pick, and that was a first round pick that my freshman year that we started back then, you had to be among the elite like yourself to, to come through the door as a freshman and kind of have that impact. And I had to pay my dues. Now, I had a very good freshman year, but I came off the bench. I started one game as a freshman because Derek McQueen was hurt. And I think it was against William Mary. Other than that, I came from the bench. I came off the bench. So now people just assume that I just walked on the campus and they'll look at my statistics and say, oh, you had over 2,000 points and you started from day one. And I didn't. You know, I, I waited. And uh, it had Robert Seiler and I graduated as a sophomore and I not tore my ACL, I don't know if I would have started my sophomore year. So nowadays, those kids are gone. You know, if I average 13 points a game as a freshman and not start, you know, then that year maybe, you know, uh, in your mind, you're like, hey, I think I'm better than this guy. I think I'm bad. But I, I know for a fact that I have a better career than Dirk McQueen and those guys and Robert Siler. Yes. But as a freshman coming in, was I better than those guys? In my mind, I thought I was. But, I, you know, now I know I wasn't. Get busy now. Penetration. Give yourself a chance. This is Center Court, presented by the Winner's Circle Network in association with the Sampson Family Foundation. Welcome back in the Winner's Circle Network. This is Center Court with Ralph Sampson. Our guest is the great Randolph Childress, outstanding career at Wake Forest. He was an assistant coach, played in the NBA, played overseas, uh, and just really had a wonderful career. Coached his son. We'll get into uh, to all that. We couldn't talk to him, Ralph, unless we talked about the 95 ACC tournament. Wake Forest had not won a championship of that caliber in some 33 years. I think 62 was the last before 95. And then came this guy who was averaging about 18 points a game anyway and put on a show with 108 points in three days. Uh, before I get to Chile, were you there, Stick, in Greensboro for that tournament? I, you know, I frequently went to the ACC tournament. I was there and uh, to watch uh, that happen over a three-game period of time with, you know, with coaches, you know, Odom and Rick there as well, you know, was amazing. You know, I had other things going on as well, appearances and all that kind of stuff. Well, so didn't get to any of the practices, but you could see the excitement. I mean, come on, ACC tournament, every, every game is exciting. You know, it's not like any other college tournament out there, right? So uh, to go out in the – uh, fans and walk through the parking lot with the Virginia fans, but also other fans. It was a lot of fun outside the arena, but it was electrified, electrifying inside the arena with Randolph doing what he does. And it's, a, it's one of those moments in town that ACC history will always remember. All right. I'm going to walk through it because I'll, I'll never forget. It was Friday and Duke is up 31, 18 <laughs> with eight minutes to go. And all of a sudden there's a timeout. It's historic. Randolph got in the huddle and Randolph, I'm going to let you tell the story exactly, but it was something to the effect of get me the blankety blank ball. That's from all them form shooting days early on. <laughs> yeah. From all yeah. the form yeah. shooting. Randolph, and then yeah. the, the, really the greatest eight minutes I think I've ever seen. If I remember right, Wake went into halftime leading 41-38. If I'm if I'm correct, something like that. I'm pretty close. If that's what happened in those eight minutes, take me through it. Oh wow, uh, desperation. I think um, it was the 
when you're a senior and this is your last go around, I think there's a level of desperation that comes in where um, we were, you know, Scooter Banks was the other senior. I'd come in with the class with Rodney, those guys, Rodney had already gone pro. He went in early. So this was my last tournament and we had, we were the number one seed and it meant a lot to me coming in awake and them being a, you know, a bottom third team. And then us climbing in a three year period, a four year period of time of my, myself playing that we were the number one seed and falling down. I think it was, we were down 18 and I had just had a turnover coming out of, of uh, before the half. And I was just, we, we just weren't ready to play. And, and Duke was hitting everything. And I remember having a timeout and, Odin would always give me the confidence to speak up and talk to our team. And uh, he, he came out and he was talking to the guys and kind of designing the play. And I was just so upset. I was like, look, it doesn't matter. We keep playing like this. There's nothing on that board that's going to fix this. Right. So it's like, look, coach, I got it. You know, if you don't want to play, you know, sit your ass down, coach, find me four other guys that want to play. Don't worry about defense. I got the offense. If I pass it to you, shoot it. If I don't, rebound or get back. That's the plan. Get out. Coach, put them on the floor. Let's go. One, two, three, together. And we went out on the floor. And uh, it's funny. You, you, certain things you remember about the tournament. And afterwards, it's funny, back that I'm talking to you now. One of the things that I, I remember was your voice saying that it was uh, and you weren't even talking to me. You were telling someone else that someone else had asked you a question about basketball and what was the best, you know, moments or your, what, what mm. the, your fondest memory of basketball. And I remember hearing you make that comment saying you saw however much time that was left eight minutes or whatever it was, that that was the best eight minutes or 10 minutes or however long it was with basketball that you had ever seen. And I was like, wow, was it that good? But, oh, you know, obviously, you know, you know what happened, but I think the biggest thing was just desperation. I went out and said, Hey, if we're going to lose this, I'm going to give it my best so I can walk off this court the last time. And I, I ended up, you know, made a shot and hit another one and then it got going. And uh, Duke's always been a great, you know, have great, they're one of the best programs, you know, uh, programs in, in the history of college basketball. So, uh, you don't often make an 18-0 comeback in a, in a game, let alone a half. So for us to come back and take the lead at half, we were we were happy to be back in the game and knew we, we were on our way to doing something special. Well, Ralph and your Virginia Cavaliers on Saturday were trying yeah. to find a way to defense. And, 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 and Chili just kept – Randolph Childers kept – he kept scoring. The thing about the tournament, Ralph, that, and I don't know if you remember, but there's so much – John going on yes, yes. and there was a, the Virginia bench Randolph had said something to you right and so right in front of Jeff Jones you knocked down a three and this now set the tone for a couple of days where you were not going to be intimidated and you weren't going to let anybody smack talk you well you know back then Ralph knows this back then you could it wasn't a technical foul right so so you could talk trash to guys you could be <laughs> dribbling the ball up the court and be like oh you guys gonna play me man to man like okay you could, like you could tell guys like you, you know you could talk so much trash back then uh one of my you know one of my closest friends like my, you know my brother uh Corey Alexander was on that team and he was injured and uh Junior Burrow's on that team and you know guys that I'm friends with to this day and I tease Corey and I'm like man I wish you to play because I might have had 120 or 130 if Corey had played like I I might have got a 50-piece on Virginia if Corey played. But, no, I mean, you you know, there was a lot of trash talking. And remember, Odom comes from Virginia. So you knew that he wanted to win that game. Ricky came – folks came from Virginia. So we were similar. We were two physical teams that there were no secrets about what we were running. We knew what they were doing. They knew what we were doing. 
And it was just like, all right, let's have at it. The tougher team is going to win. Well, Mac, you, you know, so so I, I'm announced at UVA in that team. You know, Junior's kind of a fun-loving guy, right? I mean, right. he's always been that way. He's at that way today. Corey did not want any of you because he can't play. <laughs> he can't play defense anyway. He gonna play defense, and then so Jeff, you know, so so my mentality, which I was watching that game, right? So you were already on fire, right? right? From the pre, you were already, you know, an ACC tournament. You, you don't come down off that perch. No. Well, the tournament because you, you got that many games in so many days, right? So if they were coaching at that point in time, they should have said, look, be quiet. Don't bother this guy because he's already lighting it up. So after the first three, they should have, they should have shut them off, right? Then he's going to talk smack. Yeah. Then it becomes a, then it becomes a battle at that point in time. So they, they, would, they were already history before it started when I was still watching the game. But my, my, my thought is you mentioned, you know, form shooting and all right. kinds of something, you know, Everybody saw the game, right? It's an amazing game to watch, et cetera. Right. But that was in you. It started in you when you were form shooting. Something clicked. Right. And people always say, we're in that zone. And some people don't know what that feel like. But that's right. one of those times you were in that zone. So what right. prepared you for that? What, what, and I know the motivation, but something in your life prepared you for that moment uh, before that moment happened. What was it? Well, I think a lot. Of that goes to your upbringing, right? Your, your family. And, you know, my mom and, and my father, the two of the toughest people I've ever been around. Um, they've been in my life throughout and, and their motivation to push me, to challenge me to, you know, some people would say you're, you know, when people always call you an overachiever, I looked at that as an accomplishment, you know, as, as accomplishment and, and, and motivation. And when people say things like that, it's kind of like, you know what, no, it isn't for me. You know, you you want to place a limitation on me. So um, everything about choosing Wake at the time, it wasn't like we were this popular school coming out. And, and when Rodney and I met in high school and <clears throat> decided to take on that challenge, that's what it was. There was a challenge to say, hey, let's get Wake back to 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 where or to a place that we wanted to get to. We don't know. I didn't remember what Billy Packer had done in the 60s, but I knew everyone around that the program, what, what we were trying to do was just win and do something special so everyone would remember. And that was just part of it. So uh, it, it's, it's part of who you are. Every day you get up, you push yourself basketball-wise. And in that league, it's just, you. if you're among the best players in the ACC, then you're, you're among the best players in college basketball. So we, we were a little bit more patient back then. We had to wait our turn. You know, I think, you know, we, you know, without getting into the way things are now, but during that time, it was just, you had to physically grow. You mentioned it before where the weights and everything was part of it. If you didn't do those things, you couldn't have success. You would have physically been beaten up. And uh, I had paid my dues. I was the, we were sort of the bullies on the block, on the block. you know, we were the, we were the more physical guys. I, you know, I wasn't the skinny 165 pound <laughs> freshman that, you know, when I walked in now, I probably was 185 or so and had gained my 20 pounds. And then the experience of knowing, all right, if my shot isn't falling, like even in a tournament, when I missed a couple of shots, I knew, all right, I'm not going to sit here and just continue to shoot and go three for 12 and three. I'm going to drive it. I'm going to get to the line. Uh, before analytics took over, we believed in mid range. Right. And I was, I would, I would work on mid range shots. So I just knew then, all right, if I'm not going to make these shots today, and as you know, the back to back tournament, you knew your legs would get heavy. So I was prepared to say, Hey, I got to drive it. I got to get put pressure on the rim. I got to get to the foul line. I got to shoot, pull up jump shots. So all those things were things that we practiced back then before the game has changed as much as it did today. But it was just, 
what we were taught. You know, we, we had great coaching and, and uh, you know, we didn't have all these trainers. We were a product of great high school programs and great coaching. And those were the things that I relied on, you know, back to my basic fundamentals, like you talked about form shooting. When things get hectic, I always relied on getting back to my basics. I think it's crucial because you mentioned that form of shooting and you mentioned the coach that ran you because everything was healthy. Go back to basic stuff. When your right. shot's off, right. you go right. back to one or two things, form shooting yep. Yep. or drive the ball to the basket. So yes. I, I thought that may be it, but that, that's very important, I think, to kids right. listening today for sure. Yeah, yeah. and forget the forget scoring every point in overtime. Forget the championship. And the, the, <laughs> the, just before we, we get go. Little, little minor but yeah, no, before we go to break then, but the game will always be remembered for the crossover dribble against McGinnis and you go and stand up, stand up, and then knocking down right. another three. You were just right. playing cocky and absolutely feeling <laughs> it. What, what did you say to McGinnis? Get up. I guess you, you told me, get, get up, right? You know, Mac, you know what? I didn't care if the shot went in, and I'll tell you why. Earlier that year, we had lost at home to Carolina in Winston at the Joe. Mm-hmm. And they came back and Donald Williams hit a, hit a jump shot. And the way, the way I approached was then, because I had Rutland and Braswell freshmen, I had freshman counterparts with them. Yeah. So their job was to take on whoever was the better guard for the first 30 minutes. And Odin would always say, Hey, I want you on the best guard the last 10 minutes because I never came out of the game. And Donald Williams, we were more concerned with Donald Williams as an offensive player. So I was supposed to guard Donald, but in transition, you got to play. Donald, we're down one. Donald William hits a shot with maybe four or five seconds left. Put Carolina up. We inbound the ball quickly. I push it up, heave up a shot. We miss. They win. The next day, I read, and someone gives me an article when I read in the paper. It may have been Kevin Sutton. I think Kevin Sutton called me or Coach Vetter called me and said, uh, can you believe this? I said, what? He said, uh, tough game yesterday, by the way. But, Don, uh, you know, McGinnis said that if we kept the game close enough, we knew they'd choke. Oh, oh, and oh, I was oh, I lost it. I like, oh, oh, when oh, I man. tell you I looked at that game in Chapel Hill, I had never won a game in Chapel Hill. It was one of the it was the only arena that I hadn't won it. And that game was circled on that calendar and I it was over. <laughs> and it was a week before the tournament. It was we played uh, I think Carolina at Carolina. My senior night was the last game against NC State, and then it was the ACC tournament. So we had to wait till the end of the season to play them. And that game was circled. So we played them in Chapel Hill and we beat them. You know, we beat them in Chapel, we beat them in Chapel Hill. And I played a great game and was just like, okay. So when we played them in the tournament, it was just a week earlier that I had had all this. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah, okay, yeah. you saying I'm choked? I choked? Okay, like, well, I'm going to show you how bad I choked. And so when that happened, that was all that was. It was like, you know, I choked. All right, we'll see how, how I choked this time. Let's see if I choked this time. So it was, that was wow. the remark. So when he fell, it was like, all right, get up. Like, no, you're going to get all this. You're going to get all I got. You know, I'm not that tired anymore. Like, it, it was the perfect opponent because not coming out of the game a lot, playing consecutive days like that is fatiguing. But mentally, they gave, it gave me all the motivation I need to kind of continue. Get a call from Coach Oden saying, "Hey, you want to come over here and have lunch with this recruit?" And I'm like, "Coach, who is he?" You know, he's like, uh, "Tim Donkey's the kid from St. Croix." I'm like, "Come on, Coach, there's no basketball players in St. Croix. Like, get one of the other guys." He was like, "No, I need you to hear. You guys are talking about this Mac Tarhenjai guy. This Tim Duncan kid's gonna be pretty good." Timmy gets a start. The rest is history. The Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation present Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball star Ralph Sampson. 
Again, here's Ralph and Mac. Welcome back to Center Court on the Winner's Circle Network. I'm Mac McDonald, Ralph Sampson, and Randolph Childress is our guest, the outstanding point guard from Wake Forest, former coach. Randolph, I know you'd like to be doing a podcast, and you'd like so right. I know you want to ask the big guy a question, and I gotta I I gotta get out of the way, let you ask the question. <laughs> I appreciate it, Mac. Ralph, I gotta ask you. As great as you were, I think people forget how dominant and great of a player that you were in your career. And recently, particularly in the ACC, I, I think you are a top five player in the history of this conference. And I don't think people acknowledge that. Uh, I think they, you know, everybody's recency bias when it comes to things of that, you know, that nature. But when you look at the numbers and look at the dominance and what you were and what you accomplished in your college career, I think I, I don't think you're going to find three or four better players. Than, than the career that you had. Does that bother you uh, for someone? Because I get this as well. Like a lot of times, for whatever reason, you and I, it, it's physical, it's injuries. I think in, we both had our fair share of injuries. People have always say, hey, you didn't have the professional career that, you know, the expectations of what we thought you were going to be based upon your college career. Does that bother you for that? And then does it bother you that the the, the lack of respect is what I call it for being among the the, the Mount Rushmore of, of, of ACC players? Well, I mean, uh, thanks for the question. I mean, you, you know, as I do as well. I mean, we, when you put in the work daily with form shooting, I, I, I know the form shooting as well. I do it all the time. When you put in the work, even at an early age, and you out there laying it on the line every day, I can recall, and Mac may recall this as well. So my last game of my college career, we played NC State. They had beaten us in the ACC tournament, and they had beaten us now in the Western Regionals to get to the Final Four. And at that point in time, man, I was sad, and I was dejected, I was mad, whatever, but my college career was over, and I knew I was going to the NBA. So we, we, we fly back on the plane, and my dad's on the plane. He's singing gospel songs, and we have the ball, whatever, because, you know, it was just it's happening that way. But I realized at that point in time that, you know, I stayed in school for four years. I could have came out early, stayed, and then that I really accomplished what I wanted to. And I had to look back on that on that plane ride back, and I said, I prepared myself. I accomplished whatever it is that is. Yeah, I would have wanted to win a national title. I stayed to do that, but I was getting ready to graduate. I was getting ready to go no more picking the NBA and I was having fun. And those are the three things that right. that made me stay in school, right? You know, right. was I ready to go to the NBA? No. Was I on course to graduate and was I having fun? So now at this age, looking back, I say, you know, now looking here with you, Mac, with a four-year relationship, Ricky Stokes, Coach Odom. Those are the things I think that are more about life now right. than was back then but kids today don't understand that right because you're young you don't understand it but look at where they are today they're not gonna have the right if you want and done or you transfer you're not gonna build that camaraderie that we have right right so, so to me that's bigger than life and i think right. we need to teach kids more but no matter what your name is ranking so that's somebody's ranking like they say you know who's the greatest player of all time in the nba <clears throat> professional sports michael jordan what does greatest mean you know, Muhammad right. is the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Who's the GOAT? What, who's the GOAT? We just had Jim Gray on talking who's the GOAT. To me, if you look at that and compare people against people, you can't. You got to right. compare generation to generation. But the greatest of all time to me is Bill Russell. If you're talking, right. about, you're talking about championships, you're talking about championships, you get that done. So for me, I did what I could do. You know, if I don't respect myself, nobody else will. 
Right. You know, so I just take it as, you know, people out there that want to be all these basketball, uh, you know, crazy people that think they know the game as well. I could kill less where it's coming from. I mean, I tell the story as well all the time. When I was coming to Virginia, the great Howard Cosell, uh, Ralph Sampson's going to Virginia. I'm in my car, my family's <laughs> car, and I'm driving. I hear this on the radio. It says, great Ralph Sampson's going to Virginia. He, and it was what motivated me. He's not going to last academically at the great institution of UVA Thomas. Wow. So wow. That was one of my motivations to go back and make sure I got my degree. And thank you, Howard Cosell, rest in peace, that, that, <laughs> that you gave me that as well. But I don't really care about what people say. I care about what I say and what, what my family respects me uh, and do my internal family. And the rest is just water on the bridge. So I got great friends, great people that I love. And, you know, even we were on with Ricky Stokes, uh, actually talked to me the other day. It's like, like what does Wake do? And you, same thing, right? You, you work there, you got there. What does Wake do for you? That all Virginia do for us that we can help that university become better as a university with our student athletes, especially our historical American student athletes, because we want them to be successful. Because we've been through the pitfalls, right? We've been right. through everything. We know a little bit, right? Right. I think Except, we do. And <laughs> sometimes, sometimes they don't want you to express what you know, so they kind of hold that in. They don't want to express what you know. That's the way that works, right? I'll tell right. you what, pretty good, pretty good question. Randolph Childers' guest today is Ralph Sampson. No, it's, uh, that was, it's pretty good stuff. All right, for you two, both, because I love the basketball insight, can you teach clutch? Randolph, I'll let you go first. And, does, and can you teach that from a parent standpoint to, uh, to your kids? Pressure, handling pressure, and teaching clutch. I don't know if you can teach it. I think it comes from it, – it, it has to be a confidence, right? It goes back to the things that, that Ralph and I were talking about before. Mm -hmm. I would always, again, I, I, if, if any of the kids that I've coached have been around a day, we'd always do, when I'm doing individuals or doing some type of workout, at the end of the day, I'm, I'll, I'll give them the ball, I pretend I'm defending them, and I'd say, I need your go-to move, you need a basket. Like, I, need, I needed that to translate to the game to say, you need to have confidence that you're going to be able to get this shot off no matter what defense they're doing. You're going to get to, you hear guys say all the time, to get into the spot. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I think it's just the confidence. I think it, then the confidence comes from work. It's no matter what field you're in, no matter what you're doing, the more, the harder you work at it, the more comfortable and confident you become at it. And basketball was no different. And I think that's something that in those moments, all when you hear about somebody saying they're clutch, I just think it's just, it's reps. They've mm -hmm. done this. They're, they're, they're unafraid of the moment. They're unafraid of the consequences. You know, this Mac Odom would always say, Oh, you fearless, you fearless. And I would just be like, look, if we lose, okay. It's, it, I'm going to take a shot. I feel comfortable that I'm going to make more than I miss. And uh, I've been amazed over the years to, to, to see players that are, we're watching it in the playoffs. A lot of guys are uncomfortable in these moments. And when you're uncomfortable being a good free throw shooter, all those things matter. And you're watching this even at the highest level mm -hmm. uh, in the playoffs. Guys don't want the ball when it matters because they're, they're, they don't shoot the ball well or they're unafraid. They're just timid. And if you put the work in, you're pretty comfortable and, and confident in those moments, but there's nothing you can teach. I, I don't believe you can teach. I just think it comes from work and preparation. And, and I agree with that. You can see in the NBA, especially in great, great point there when you're in the playoffs and the heat of the battle, like the ACC wow. tournament. If you, most, some people elevate their game and some people yes. have no, have a game, don't have a game because they <laughs> right. can't take that pressure, that internal right. pressure. And to me, that comes, as you mentioned as well, from your upbringing, right? And, and right. the father figure that's Father's Day weekend, et cetera, my dad, your dad, your parents as well, that teach you that pressure at a young age.
right. and put you in those situations that will, will help you understand what life's all about. So to me, that's that's where it all comes from. It all comes right. from the root of uh, our childhood and what your parents taught you. So give right. me some, being father, give me a little bit, what, something your father said to you when you were young, you said this earlier, that, that still instills with you today that you actually teach your son. What would that be? Wow, I, I think some of the confidence comes from that. I think it's hold your head up, you know, um, just just be be extremely comfortable and confident in who you are and what you are, you know, and reminding me that, hey, you play basketball, but it's not who you are. So people would always view confidence as arrogance and, and, and it's not with people who are motivated. You know, sometimes when you're self-motivated, it bothers people. And I was always told to be and raised to be comfortable and confident in who and who I am and what I and what I was and, and that I played the game but I wasn't defined by the game or any sport for that matter so he would always my father would always remind me of that and just say hey be, be confident in that you know and, and 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 push me he'd go out and just rebound and spend time with me when there was things that I was thinking about that bothered me I was comfortable sharing those things so those are things that I knew that, okay, when I started coaching that I got to, I got to learn from these kids. I got to learn more about them. I want them comfortable with me to have those conversations that carried on. And I took them to the court. It's not the other way around. You, I just didn't walk on the court and say, you know, you, you do this. And one of the things I always say, I think the biggest way I'd say it would be this. He used to say to me, um, you don't have to demand respect, you know, your presence will command respect. And if you do that and you're genuine about people, your presence will command. He said, when you start demanding it, then, then you got a problem. It's a turn off and, and you're not the person that you needed to be. If you're demanding something from someone, I think if you're, if you're, if you're in a position of authority, uh, your presence enough is to command. Your job is to get the best out of those people that are working with you and around you. And, I, and I've always believed in that. Mike, yes. we're going to steal that quote. We're going to steal it. You don't, <laughs> have, you don't have to demand respect. Your presence will earn respect. So I, right. I, I'm, right. I'm gonna, you might want to say it again, but we're going to use that one. For, That's like too that, good. That and, and so we will close with this because Randolph was never shy about having the respect or feeling respected. He's a freshman. No. We're at Alabama. His very first shot, he airmailed a three, drew nothing. No board. <laughs> no, and he runs in front of the bench. And looks yeah. at Coach Odom and he goes, Coach, don't take me out. I'm hot. <laughs> that's that's one of the – that'll go in the book, I think, when Randolph decides Matt, to write I it. shot two air balls. <laughs> and Alabama was nationally ranked with Ori, Robert Ori yes. and all those guys, yes. Hollywood Robinson. I mean, they were loaded. <laughs> Ralph, I shoot back-to-back -back air balls. And you know how the coach – you know, they stand up at the coach's box. <laughs> and when I shoot the second one, I turn around and look at the bench – He's already turning down, looking for somebody. To get <laughs> so I'm, I'm to get me back out. So I'm run by the bench. I'm like, coach, 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 don't take me out. I'm about to get hot. <laughs> it allowed me to stay in the game long enough. I think he was looking at me like, has this kid lost his mind? Like, who did you guys recruit this program? It, it allowed me enough time to hit a shot and get the guy back from the scores table. And good. then I stayed. Yeah, it was too good. good. That's classic. That's classic. Randolph. Happy Father's Day. Uh, the best to Brandon. Best to your family. Um, and we'll uh, we'll talk very soon. It's uh, it's been a great hour, and we really appreciate you catching up. Truly, one of the best, one of the top fifty in the ACC for sure, and certainly one of the top point guards to ever play the game. Randolph, thank you much. Yeah, thank, thank you guys. So happy much. Father's thank Day weekend so to you guys. Keep doing great things. Okay. More of the Winter Circle Network and Center Court when we come back. To get into sportscasting, you need experience just to get your foot in the door. 
I can't tell you how many times in my career somebody will ask me, how do I get into your business? How do I become a sportscaster? The first thing I ask is, what have you done? Do you have any experience? And the answer is normally nothing yet. It's because they couldn't find a program that provided the real world experience that you need to get started. So I set out to create a program designed for the next wave of sportscasting talent. And my partner was an obvious one, Full Sail University. Great track record in entertainment and media, great alumni group, and the ability to evolve as the industry changes. We're offering a bachelor's degree that combines the professional expertise that my fellow sportscasters and I have built our careers on with the technologies shaping the world of sports. To succeed in this business, you have to be ready for what's next. But the core of great sportscasting I don't think will ever change. And this program brings it all together. You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. Welcome back to the Winner's Circle Network. I'm Mac McDonald, and uh, this is Center Court. Ralph Sampson. Ralph, just a terrific, uh, you know, few minutes with uh, Randolph Childress. It went by way too quickly. I will remember what he said there towards the end for a long, long time, that you uh, you never should demand respect. You shouldn't have to demand it. Your presence should be able to earn respect. Uh, pretty heavy words, huh? I mean, Mac, I mean, yeah, really heavy words. I mean, you know, people out there that know Randolph, he didn't even play and perform. But to me, this interview was one of the best we've ever had, just because you don't know who he is until right. he speaks. He speaks extremely well. Uh, he's got the, the family background, father, mother, where he came up through the ranks, his form shooting. I teach form shooting, Mac, as right. well. So I, I can see that happening. But just though that quote alone should say that how special of a guy he was playing, but also how special of a man and a father he is today. So yeah, appreciate his time. But that, that was a great interview. Well, and the parallels, and, and I didn't really have time to, you know, to get into it, but the parallels, you're seven, four, he's six, one, but that's where it stops. You were highly touted. You were supposed to be the next, you know, the next big, big, big thing in the NBA. Yes, you were good. Yeah. You had your terrific moments. Well, Randolph was the same way. I mean, he was drafted in the first round. He was like 19th overall picked by the Pistons. He ends up in Portland and he ends up playing overseas in Italy and Greece and, and really doesn't have the NBA career that a lot of people thought he had. You guys and injuries too. I mean, fighting yeah. through injuries. You two have a lot in common. Yeah, we do. I mean, uh, you don't know it until you sit down and break bread with somebody understand it. But hearing his story, hearing his career, knowing about him as well. Again, you can see the highlights, right? Mm -hmm. You can see all the reels and the highlights of all the successes. But Going through the injury, I mean, I understand the injury, obviously, and understand the sweat that he, he put in there to get back to being the player that he was and the person he is. You, I understand all that because I've been through it. So I understand it gives you the specialness. And it actually gives me chills sometimes because I know what he's going through to say he was amazing, but what he went through and he's still successful, it's kind of really a special time for me just to reflect back on my career, but also his as well. Yeah, never question Randolph Childer if you're getting a card game. Uh, yeah, never, exactly, exactly. never, never question his clutchness. <laughs> Especially, yeah, give me, I mean, two, two, two uh, air balls in the game, and you know, hey, Coach Joe, take him out. I'm, I'm gonna ask Coach Joe about that. Hey, why you take him out? Well, he said I, I'm gonna fire. That's a, that's a freshman, man. That's a freshman. So yeah, he, two air balls. Don't take me out. Uh, I'm hot. I'm gonna get hot. All right, Stick. Have a great week. This is Center Court on the Winner Circle Network. 
You've been listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Our podcast is available on the Believe Network at BLEAV.com. Center Court is presented by the Winter Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. For more information, log on to SampsonFamilyFoundation.org. Uplift, empower, educate. Teamwork makes the dream work. Welcome to another round of Boardroom or Miro Board. Today we talk retrospectives with Agile Coach Maria. Let's go. First question. You've spent two hours in a team retro, but the only input you've heard is Dave's. Boardroom or Miro Board? Boardroom. In Miro, Dave can't hog the space because everyone can add thoughts anonymously, online at the same time. Correct. Next. You need the team to act on feedback fast, so you turn all those retro notes into JIRA tasks instantly. Miro all the way. And I can assign those tasks to teammates. You're nailing this. Now, you see hundreds of sticky notes from the retro. A real mess. But you organize them into five themes in just seconds. Miro, I basically get back an entire hour when I use its AI tools for clustering. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people running actually enjoyable and actionable retros in Miro. Get your first three boards free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.